Hi folks, welcome to the first episode of Entrepreneur, a brand new podcast from London Loves Business. I'm Robin Vinter. Each week we'll be bringing you a different story from the world of entrepreneurialism, be it sad, funny, inspiring, embarrassing, shocking, uplifting, we've got them all. Since it's week one, we thought what better way to kick off the series than a look at becoming an entrepreneur. That terrifying yet exhilarating step between working for someone else and working for yourself. For some people, that big step might be about gaining flexibility, financial independence, or simply cutting the commute. For others, it has more to do with getting rid of a miserable job, a bad boss, or horrible clients. In reality though, as much as we like to dream, very few of us actually make that leap. And sometimes, even the most resolute entrepreneurs need a push to get them going. A sudden spark to force us to reevaluate what we're doing with our lives and make that drastic move. Suki Jutler, a former city management consultant, has just taken that first step and started her own writing business. She'd felt unfulfilled at work for a while, but it was a family tragedy that caused her to reassess what she was doing with her life. I chatted to Suki in our spectacularly unsoundproof meeting room at London Loves Business, and she started by telling me how she felt in the corporate environment. What she says here, I'm sure a lot of people will identify with. To be honest, for many years, I kind of just pretended <laughs> to fit in, really. Um, I wouldn't say I have a problem with authority, but I think um, I didn't like being told what to do all the time. And living this, you know, on the other side of, of, of the corporate world, you know, you get to kind of plan out your own day and do what you really want to do. And was it like a kind of overnight thing when you were, you were working banking and you realised you're unhappy? Was it like one day you snapped or was it like a gradual process where you started to realise, oh, actually, this is the this is the kind of thing that I want to do instead? Yeah, I think um, a lot of the time you do hear about overnight epiphanies and stuff. If For me, it wasn't. It was a very slow process whereby I just had a nagging feeling that this wasn't what I wanted to do. So I'd probably say about five years into my corporate career, I had literally checked all the boxes, but I wasn't happy. I had got numerous promotions, my salary had increased, I was earning a huge amount of money, more than I could even think about spending. I was, you know, traveling all around the world, um, meeting new people and working with an intelligent bunch of people. But there was just this sense that what I was doing wasn't really purposeful. And I just kept on thinking that there's got to be more to life than this. It was during this time that the absolute worst happened. Her father, Jaswinda, suffered a heart attack. Just a warning here, some listeners may find this part of her story upsetting. It happened at home and um, he stopped breathing um, during his sleep. So my mum came into my room really panicked and said, there's something wrong with your dad, he's not responding. So I ran into um, his room and he was looking quite grey, he wasn't moving and his eyes were just fixated to the ceiling. I tried to nudge him and you just have a gut feeling, an instinct that something is not right. So instantly I just phoned 999 and they were just amazing and they asked if he was breathing or not and you know he wasn't. So she asked me to carry him from the bed, put him on the floor and my mom and my sisters um, picked up my dad, we laid him on the floor and she said, uh, 
you need to start CPR. I had no idea how to do CPR. And so she talked me over the phone. She said, put one hand on top of the other, um, you know, locate his breastbone just underneath and start pushing down. And I remember her telling me, whilst you're pushing down on his chest, I need you to count. So I started to count and she said, no, 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 you're going way too slow. You need to go faster. And she started to count with me on the phone and it's like something really weird just took over. And I just started to kind of press down on his chest really fast and everything was just a blur. Um, I called out to my dad and I didn't really know what was going on. And literally within two or three minutes, the doorbell went downstairs and the paramedic had arrived. So he came in and it's almost like a blur. I don't really know what was going on, but what I do remember is it was just myself and the paramedic in the room. I think he'd asked everyone else to leave. He started to take out all of this equipment, put an oxygen mask on my dad, and very calmly he started to explain to me what had happened. The paramedic explained Jaswinder's heart had stopped. He asked Suki to continue with CPR while he gave her father oxygen and medication. The the most uh, distressing thing for me was the paramedic had hooked up my dad's um, my dad to a heart monitor, which was directly in front of me, and I could see it was flatlined. So very subconsciously, I knew my dad's heart was not working, which means he's not he's essentially not alive. And I remember just looking at that and just continued just beating down on his doing CPR, you know, just going on and going on. And I started to really shout out to my dad and call out to him call out to him and say dad you know wake up wake up and I think about 25 or 30 minutes had passed and there was still no line and all I remember is the paramedic just taking out these needles and you know probing my dad with all these things and then by that time I think another ambulance had arrived so there were two more people in the room and they kind of kind of backed off and stopped doing what they were doing and I was still beating down in his chest and that that line was still straight and then the paramedic, I felt his hand on my shoulder and I, I heard him say, um, you know, 30 minutes has gone by now and your dad's heart has not restarted. You know, he said, we're not sure if he's going to come back. And I don't know, but it's just like very subconsciously something just kept going in my head. And I said, no, I, I don't want to give up. And I just said to him, I said, please, I said, just continue, just carry on, just carry on. So he said, fine. He goes, we'll do the best that we can. And I just kept praying and I I called out to my dad and I I literally, I think I must have just screamed out and I said, Dad, you know, I need you to come back. And it was, he was literally like he had heard. And within the next 30 seconds, we saw a spike on the monitor. The paramedics worked on Suki's father for another hour to stabilise him before he could be moved. A third ambulance arrived and by this point, two hours had gone by. Jaswinder's brain had been starved of oxygen for 32 minutes. The family were told another eight minutes and he'd be brain dead. He suffered another three cardiac arrests in the ambulance on the way to the hospital and another in the operating theatre. But despite all this, he survived. Jaswinder was in intensive care for eight weeks in a medically induced coma. During this time, all the family could do was wait. But he did wake up. Coming out of his coma, it was really stressful because we didn't know what what he would be like. And I remember the doctor telling me that your dad, as, he, as you knew him, is, is not going to be the dad that you once knew. And that was really heartbreaking. 
And I said to myself, no way. I said, I'm going to get my dad back exactly the way he was, you know. So I, I think I really operated from a place of hope. And I think I was quite, um, I was trying, I was the main one holding my, holding up my family and holding them together because my mom was of course in a lot of shock and she needed a lot of support and I felt like I had to be sort of the um, the, the strong person in the family so I had to really be strong for them and I was talking to the doctors all the time trying to find out what was going on and I was my mom and myself and my family we were at my dad's side for 12 hours every single day for like two and a half years every single day. Over time, Suki's dad did get a lot better. He had to relearn even the simplest tasks, including speaking, eating, and brushing his own teeth. His memory was sketchy and he was often confused, sometimes not recognizing Suki or other members of the family. As a result of being bedbound, every two or three months, Jaswinder would pick up a new infection. We are just made up of blood, tissue, and bones, and these things are, are, are easily, um, you know, they're very fragile. And, um, you know, it came to a point where he went in for some routine surgery and he picked up an infection and from there um, the infection just literally started to invade his body and he just became exceptionally weak. And towards the end um, of his time on this earth he was becoming quite confused and he was slipping in and out of unconsciousness and he was still bedbound and he, I, I guess, you know... His life had changed so much because he couldn't go to work anymore, you know. I think he felt quite isolated as well, not being able to interact with people. And I think that it, it took a huge toll on him. And then his body essentially started to give up and um, his lungs slowly started to collapse. And I was lucky enough to be with him about 30 minutes before he passed away. And I remember saying to him, because he was, I don't know if he was in a state of where he could... Uh, hear me anymore but he was on an oxygen mask and you know he was effectively back in ICU where a lot of the machines were doing a lot of work for him but I remember looking at him and thinking he was suffering so much and he was struggling so much and I said that this isn't the way I want him to be and holding on to him was selfish and I remember just saying to him that dad if you need to go I don't want you to be afraid and that everything's okay and that I'll look after everyone here and I don't want you to be afraid and he passed away about 30 minutes after that. Anyone who suffered such a momentous tragic event will know it can take some time for our brains to process what's happened. Yeah hearing he had gone was earth shattering and I think for a while I was so numb I didn't in a way, I, I knew it happened, like I was at the funeral, you know, you're, you're seeing all these things happening, but it's only afterwards that it really hits you. And that's when I said to myself that I, I can no longer sleepwalk in my life, and I owe it to myself, and I owe it to my dad to just go out there and just and just live a life that's really true to my values and build a, a legacy for him. So I guess this path of entrepreneurship is more about creating something for him and making sure that he's really proud of what I've, what I've done and also being able to wake up every day and say that I'm, I'm living a life that's true to me and I'm happy doing that no matter what happens. If Suki sounds like an incredibly positive person, it's completely reflective of how she was during the couple of hours I spent with her. I have to admit, I was initially quite surprised by this positivity, considering she's essentially taken a step into the unknown and actually spent quite a bit of time trying to tap into what her negative thoughts were. But 
Rather than blind optimism, which is what I initially feared, it seems a lot of her confidence comes from being realistic and financially prepared for what lies ahead. What is the worst case scenario? I can always go and get a job. And I've got tons of experience behind me and I'm quite you know, excited about doing different things. And I don't necessarily have to go into banking. I can maybe just, you know, with all the experience and the new things that I'm learning, I can go and do something different as well. And I think that's part of the excitement. Um, but I, what I would say is if you are going to do what I've done, which is, you know, take a break from the corporate world, you know, have some funds behind you. So I have um, made certain sacrifices over the last six months and I've, I've saved enough money where I can have six months off if I want to and just kind of try out these pursuits and go out on a holiday, you know, and just do these different things. So what I would say is don't go into this blindly because if you do, if you are in a situation where you don't have any money and you don't have a clue what's going on, very quickly that self-doubt will take over. Working for a big company can make you comfortable and risk-averse, she says, which aren't necessarily the best attributes for somebody starting their own business. When you are in a corporate environment, you know, you have rules and regulations and it's actually a good thing to stick within those rules and regulations because that's how you get acknowledged and that's how you get those promotions. But I was getting promoted and I was doing, I was great at what I do and at that point in time I was enjoying what I did but... I guess I wouldn't have um, stepped stepped outside the the rules because that isn't what was you know what you were meant to do. She hopes her story will encourage others to take the leap. What I'd really like to tell people is I I just hope that a huge tragedy doesn't have to happen to them to for them to wake up and then start living a life that they really should be living. But she says most people are stronger than they think when they're hit with unexpected tragedy. Um, so for myself, you know, I lost my dad and if anything, I think his death actually made me feel superhuman um, in that I faced my worst nightmare. So now I say to myself, I don't really think there's anything, um, you know, in comparison to that, that could be more horrifying. And I think that if you um, kind of don't take yourself so seriously, and I think that's what I used to do a lot before, I always thought that I had to know what I what my plan and path was but now not taking myself so seriously and just kind of just going with the flow has made my life um, a lot more happier you know and I think that when you chase happiness uh, as an end product um, you will struggle but when you just start living your life and going with the flow and if things don't turn out the way you planned them to do five years ago it's okay you know so um I'm 31 now and that, I thought at 30 I would have ticked these specific boxes and I didn't but that's okay because now I've added a whole new bunch of new things on that list that I would never have anticipated and I'd probably say that I'm more content and more happy than I've ever been. You can find Suki's blog at www.theauthorentrepreneurs.com She's also contributed to a book about fintech, which is out later in the year. Well, that's it for the first episode. Thanks this week to the guys at We Are Caffeine, also to Escape the City, who put us in touch with Suki, and my thanks, of course, to the rest of the team at London Loves Business. The music we used in today's podcast is by Raphael Mack, who you can find on SoundCloud. If you liked this episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and also check out our website at londonlovesbusiness.com which features a story from this week's podcast along with all our other business news and features. 
Finally, if you're an entrepreneur with a tale to tell and want to be featured in an upcoming episode on the next series of Entrepreneurd, drop us an email at entrepreneurd at londonlovesbusiness.com as we're always on the lookout for new stories. Thanks and see you next week.